Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Zach Selwyn. You may remember me as a host from ESPN, Attack of the Show, or even Immortalized, that competitive taxidermy show on AMC. We lasted one episode. Anyway, three times a week, I'm bringing you the realest fake news of the day. It's the Saturday Night Live News Desk, but in an audible format. Listen to the Audio Up News Network on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Jingle Jared. In my former occupation, I was the biggest jingle writer of all time. Now, I'm looking for a new job, speaking to every entrepreneur that I can find so I can find out what it's like to transition from one career to another. All of this expert advice has become the bedrock for a podcast I'm calling Occupational Therapy. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. y'all i'm uncle drank star of the ballad of uncle drank it is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me fictional golf and western country music pioneer uncle drank the series also stars luke wilson brian kelly chelsea lynn kinky friedman and billy zane as a talking blender named blendy you can find the ballad of uncle drank on sirius xm pandora stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts Live from the Dream Hotel in Hollywood, California, this is Lips LA. Hey guys, welcome to the show. It's Scott Lips and you're listening to Lip Service. Today on the show, super excited to have on Brian Guy Adams, or better known as Brian Adams, a Canadian singer, songwriter, record producer, guitarist, photographer, philanthropist, and activist from Vancouver. And uh, as you know, Brian Adams has sold millions of records. As far as I know, he is the biggest selling recording artist from Canada which is pretty impressive when you think about who's from there, Drake, Bieber, a host of others. So we're going to call him. He's actually on the road right now. He's on tour promoting his new record, Shine a Light, uh, and we are going to give him a call in just a second. Welcome to the show, Lip Service with Scott Lips. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hello. All right, we are connected. Brian, Got my it. man, how are you? A lot better, thank you. Good. Good to hear from you. How you been, my man? Excellent, Scott. You've been on tour, right? Always. Always. You're always on the road. You're actually, were you in New Orleans last night? Yes, I was. Very, very cool. And before that, you were in New York for a week. And we've been old friends for a long time. And uh, I'm really excited to have you on the show. So thanks for coming on. Tell me about your show. I don't know anything about your show. Wow. Well, the show is on Dash Radio, which is great. So um, been uh, been doing this for about a year now. I've had great guests on. And it's basically about people's journeys. So I'd love to talk about your journey, where you started, how you started growing up in Canada, there's so much to talk about because besides music, obviously, you know, you're a great songwriter, record producer, photographer. You have a lot of philanthropic stuff you do and also an activist. So I think there's like so much to get into. We're old friends. Truth be told, I've known you for probably 15 years now. Yeah. Um, and I think your journey is really, really interesting. And that's what people would love to hear. So growing up in Canada and uh, growing up, I think you grew up in Ontario, right? I, I grew up all over the world. My father was a diplomat. Um for the Canadian Embassy, and we traveled all over the world uh, pretty much until I was 
the age of uh, 13. And Your parents are British, right? My parents are British. Yep. And, yeah, so I got a different viewpoint of the world from an early, early uh, start. And I guess that's why I'm still on the road. You do like about 100 dates a year or something still, right? <laughs> yeah. And you still get nervous when you play, or do you still get nervous, I guess? Is it, is I, don't, I, I think it's pretty common to feel some, uh, something about it, you know. I mean, it's, when you go out and, and play, it's, it's always very exciting. And, and yeah, in your whole career, Brian, because you work with so many great artists, right? So, I mean, there's so many to speak of. There's Rod Stewart, Don Henley, The Who, Sting. Quite recently, Shine a Light is with Ed Sheeran. Is there any stories that sort of stand out in your head? And sort of, you know, some people that obviously Shine a Light, how did that come about? I believe that you went to see an, an Ed Sheeran gig, right? Yeah, I met Ed. At, uh, we were both playing in Dublin on consecutive nights, and I went to see his show, and we met up and just stayed in contact. And um, I had a song idea, which I thought was pretty good and I said it to him and said do you want to help me out with this and he said yeah so I mean but you know in terms of standout things I mean obviously anytime you work with somebody that you admire and it's always a standout so any of the artists you mentioned and and you didn't mention Tina Turner which was one of my favorite moments ever yeah tell me about that because you guys worked together quite some time ago I mean I don't even know where to start I mean it's, it's we we uh I was a fan, um, and uh, I we used to go and see her in the clubs. She used to play gay clubs back in the, the early, really early 80s and late 70s, and I used to go and see her, and I was just a fan. And, and so I, when it came down to making my... I had a friend who was a producer called Carter. He was producing Private Dancer, and he called me and said, look, do you want to, you know, do you want to give a song to Tina. Do you have a song? I said, well, I'm in the middle of making this album called Reckless. I can't right now, but maybe Tina would like to come and sing on one of my songs. Never heard anything more about it. And then I heard she was coming to Vancouver as the support act for Lionel Richie. Amazing. And <laughs> and I, re- I reached out again, this time to her manager, Roger Davies, and... Um, I got an immediate response back saying Tina would love to love to do it. And so from then on, it was just, you know, a roller coaster. Because, you know, if you've ever seen anything of Tina or if you know Tina, it's it's extraordinary. And when I, I can distinctly remember after recording It's Only Love with her in the studio. And after she left, I just looked around the room and I was like, can you just play that back? I want to make sure that we really heard that because it was so so exciting and so extraordinary. Everybody in the, it was like this quiet, you know, like you know that calm before the storm. But this was the calm after the storm because when Tina had left, it was just it was incredible. Well, it's funny the process of writing music now. I imagine has changed dramatically because I feel like a lot of things are done now through email. And back in the day, you guys would get in a room and hammer it out. So sure. how is how is the process of writing songs for you changed? Because this is now your fifteenth record, I believe. Shine a light is my fourteenth album. Well, you got one more coming up, so yeah, so it's your fourteenth. I got another one coming exactly. eventually. Um, I haven't really sort of honed in on it yet, but um, yeah, a lot of times things happen. Um, via email and that's how Ed and I wrote and we worked on FaceTime as well and I you know that's just the way it is now it's it's easier people are so busy and you know the, the world's become sort of 
reduced to this. It doesn't really, even though we're in this massive globe, there's. Um, it's easy to connect with people. Yeah, via email. No matter where you are. I mean, where are you right now? You're I'm actually, yeah, I'm actually in LA. But I mean, does the process of writing music to you, do you feel like it's actually more advantageous to be in the room with someone or can it all be done through email? Is it sort of a, an easier well, process? You know what? It's always better when you sit face to face and and things happen when you when you work it out. But not to say that both things can't work and I've made both things work. And is there a story behind Shine a Light? Because that is the record that you're on the road now promoting. Well, the original idea came from uh, last summer when I, I was taking care of my parents, which both had gone into hospital. Oh, uh, my parents are older now. Uh, I, I lost my dad, and, and my mom still, still, you know, she made it through, thankfully. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah. That's all right. It's just life. Yeah. And, um, but thank you. The, the, you know, when you say goodbye to your parents is quite hard and and so I was it was just like an idea as sort of a a, a farewell to them you know the idea of an homage what, almost right just uh, just something to what, what do you say yeah what you know? do you say sure and the idea is the idea of shine a light everywhere you go with everyone you know i just thought that was such a beautiful idea um because even if they're not there they you know they have shined their light on you. And so, I don't know, I just, I thought it was a good idea. Anyway, so when I played it for Ed, I didn't tell him that right away, but I did eventually. And that's in the middle eight of the song. It sort of culminates lyrically there. That's great. I mean, I feel like your music has touched so many people. There's a sort of a message of positivity surrounding it. I don't know how many... Um functions i've been at where i've heard your songs and there's some of them you know it's got to feel good when you're you know people are using that as their song that they get married to and and sort of their whole their whole life is sort of based on that they pick your song to be the one that they walk down the aisle to because obviously i feel like there's countless songs that you have i was listening to your catalog the other day i mean you have so many hits so congrats on such Thanks. an illustrious career and, and also obviously we should talk about the fact that you're a photographer and have been for many many years you've shot Everyone from the Queen to Kate Moss, you put out you know numerous books and how do you, I mean you know, what's your connection? Obviously, you and I connected also on a fashion level, so I feel like you know photography is probably as big a passion for you. I mean, am I correct to say that as music? Sure, I, I mean it's just you know you 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 um, basically have the ability to to connect on so many levels as an art, artist and uh, you know it, it, whether that's a collaboration with somebody else or if it's um, you know, like you work with different people. Uh, in my case, sometimes I just like to do things myself. So I would just, uh, I got into photography really as, as a way of just, you know, an extra sort of creative thing that I was doing. You know, sometimes sort of doing mock-ups for my own album covers and ideas. And I was, you know, I started quite early in the 80s for me because I, I was sort of documenting my work um, uh, when I was, making my records but i never really considered that my photographs you know were good enough <laughs> you know what i mean I just, now you've gone on to do guest campaigns to many other campaigns and even as i said shooting the queen so <laughs> what, what's that like when you get the phone call and your agent is like hey i have this gig for you brian you're gonna shoot the queen i mean <laughs> you've got to be a little bit uh, like all right how long do i have right it's like the, right you, you probably got what 10 minutes with her or something Less. Less, five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, but I, 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 those, all those kind of things are really exciting, and it, it comes from uh, 
being at the right place at the right time, I think. Um, but no, I, I, uh, I really enjoy uh, working as a photographer um, as much as a, as a musician. And a lot of people don't know you have a magazine and also you're putting out books. Uh, there's a book you just put out called Homeless. Yeah. So definitely want to talk about that for a moment. You were working on that book for about 10 years and it's also an exhibition, right? Yeah, it's, uh, I started doing it. Um, do, you know, do you know Trudy Styler? Yeah, she's, of course. Uh, she's Sting's wife. Yep. And she'd, she'd asked me if I would get involved with the big issue uh, in London, which is a magazine for, uh, which they publish to help homeless people um, and I thought, yeah, definitely I'll do that. Because like, you see people on the street all the time selling the magazine. And I thought it was a great thing. And after I did my first session with it and, and working with the people in the magazine, I really liked them. And so I continued to keep a dialogue with, with them. And I did a series of portraits over a number of years of different people, different vendors that sell the magazine on the street. And... I've just released a book of it, and you know, it's 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 an amazing thing to to see the journey that people uh, go through, and 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 what and what brings them to the point of homelessness. Yeah. And everybody has a different story. So, and I imagine some of the proceeds were obviously donated to that too, right? So entirely, was, no, entirely. Yeah. All all the proceeds go to the Big Issue Foundation. And there's an exhibition that accompanied that too. Yeah, I, I have a sort of ongoing exhibition which travels um, from different galleries to museums, and and as my cat, sort of catalog of photographs expands, I just I put different things together. There's a there's a, a series of portraits also of wounded soldiers um, coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan, from another book I did called Wounded: The Legacy of War, and so sometimes the the human plight is something that. Uh, is is nice to capture, aside from just doing fashion celebrity things. Definitely, I, and giving I, back to the community. It's it's actually really really great that you do that. It's awesome. And, and well, so, I, I think in terms of photography, I think that, you know it isn't always about having hair and makeup. It's it's about just people as them as they are as interesting. And when you're approaching when you were approaching homeless people to shoot them on the street, there it was in London mostly, or was it all yeah, over the place? Entirely, yeah. So did they know who you were? It was sort of just oh, yeah. uh, they did. Okay. And were they fairly easy to photograph and, and very. very amenable to that? Sweet. Yeah. I mean, really sweet. That's everybody, great. Everybody was really sweet. That's awesome. So, yeah, we definitely picked that book up for sure. I want to talk about some of your favorite songs, my favorite songs, actually, of yours, um, when, you're, when You're Gone. And, okay. uh, and the story behind that, I was watching some YouTube clips recently when you were bringing some people up to sing that song. Um, <laughs> such a great song. So where were you when you wrote that song and you recorded it and, and the story behind it? Uh, I wrote that song... It might have been in Jamaica. Um, was there something that inspired that story for you and, and sort of how you came about to write that song? I wrote that song with a guy called Elliot Kennedy, and I'd written it for the album On a Day Like Today back in 1998. And we, we it hadn't really been discussed on what we were going to do with the song. I just recorded it one day, and it turned out really well. And towards the end of the making an album... You remember making albums? Yeah, Scott. yeah. Back in the day, back in the day, making <laughs> people are albums. making singles now. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just remember that uh, uh, I decided it would be nice to try and make it into a, a duet. And I originally approached Cheryl Crow, and that never happened. And then 
towards just the end of the mixing stage, I was in L.A., and I, I was getting into an elevator, and in walked Mel C. from the Spice Girls. <laughs> That's right. Sporty and, Spice, right? Yeah. And I said, hi. And she's like, hey. And we started talking and stayed in touch. And then I just thought, I wonder if she'd be up for doing it. It could be quite interesting because she's got a good voice. And so I asked her and she said, yeah. And so that's, that's how that song came about. Amazing. I feel like a lot of your songs, when you're running into people, you go on backstage shows. I hear a lot of these stories because I was actually listening to some of your interviews recently. So even with Ed, right, you went to one of his shows and then you guys yeah. worked on Shine a Light together. Just organically, it's great when those things come together like that. And so you're on the road, and let's talk about it a little bit. You've been a vegan for like 30 years, Brian, right? Yes. And so is it hard? I assume you guys have a chef on the road there, but is it hard because we know when you're on the road, it's really hard to eat healthy, right? So is it, health, is it really hard for you to sort of keep up that lifestyle? If you hadn't had the chef, is it hard to be on the road <laughs> Wait, and do hold that? It, hold it. You, you, you're, you're glamorizing this. First of all, when I became uh, uh, a vegan, I, I never even, the word didn't exist, okay? So this was 30 years ago, right? Yeah, it was, remember, just, yeah. it was just it was just vegetarian and I used to have huge arguments with people about, you know, vegetarian, you know, what, what was vegetarian? Vegetarian apparently means you can still eat dairy. Dairy. I still don't understand that, but, um, but the idea, uh, was that I was just off all animal products. And when I was made, I was at the time I, I was doing it, I, I started working with Mutt Lang, um, who's a record producer and he was also a vegetarian and, so the two of us just—we didn't have a chef. We just the two of us would just work on. We were working on music and writing songs together, and I—I I became the chef. Right, that's great. And I became the chef for the band um, and the studio when because at some point it was Keith, my guitar player, would come in, and it's just the three of us. And so I just got into the habit of making salads and cooking jacket potatoes, and that's what or baked potatoes, and so that was kind of our diet. That. You know, fruit salad, salads, baked potatoes, and carrot juice. <laughs> because you grew up with British parents where everything was from a can, more or less, right? So now... But that's right, yeah. I mean, if you were brought up with British parents, you would know everything came from a can. Yeah. Um, especially back in the uh, in the 70s and the 60s. That There's just, you know... And there wasn't the plethora of restaurants that there are now, obviously, to sort of cater no. to veganism. So, so That's why I, I love, I love uh, California, by the way. That's because it really was a sort of a forerunner in terms of, you know, bringing vegetarianism and, and veganism to the forefront. Definitely. Definitely. So, so you, so you aren't, so you don't feel like it's harder to sort of eat that way on the road, right? Cause it, no. I mean, yeah. in fact, you can go anywhere now. I mean, I'm in Alabama at the moment and there's like all kinds of restaurants you can go to and, and get things. And I, I love it now cause I, <laughs> You know, one of the things that so you sort of associate with veganism is avocado. Right. And uh, back in the 70s, um, I remember eating avocado on toast and thinking, oh, this is great. So, and now it's become such a thing, and they call it sort of the hipster hipster lunch or his hipster breakfast to have <laughs> avocado on toast. In fact, I've got two daughters, and they, that's one of their favorite things is having avocado on Amazing. toast for breakfast. So I, I really... Uh, I, I think it's extraordinary how things have, have come about in 30 years. I love the fact that people are embracing it and it becomes more normal. And it's, it's, it's something that people totally accept now. Because I, I do recall when I became um, vegetarian slash vegan that <clears throat> 
people would just like, my, even my band members are like, hey, have a hamburger, man. You're not getting any protein. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not true. And uh, and now my, I look at my band and they're all they're all same as me. They're all vegetarian. Amazing. Do you have a favorite vegan restaurant in L.A.? Have you been to Crossroads at all? I do. I, I, I have been there. And I've also, I like um, Real Food Daily. All oh, right, true. Good one. Um, so, you know, wonderful. It's great the world's changing. And, you know, I don't know if it's going to totally impact the way you know, the amount of animals that are getting killed because with every new person that's a vegan, there's, you know, a thousand people that are still eating fish and and meat. So so when you're traveling across the country, are there more and more, you think there are more and more places to eat vegan style? There is. Yeah. But here's, here's, here's a fact that's interesting. My, my daughters are under the age of 10. They're in a school with 500 children. Um, and... They're the only vegetarians wow. in the whole school. That's pretty wild. So we so, got to change that. Well, it comes from it. Come, it has to come from the parents. You know, your parent, the parenting has to. But you know, if you, if you were brought up like I was, you know, a different, completely different mindset of of food, it's very hard to break that cycle unless you were in, in somehow influenced by something and. So you just do what you were brought up doing with your children. Definitely, definitely. And speaking of your kids, uh, I remember you telling me a long time ago, you know, you should really, you have to try the fatherhood thing because it'll change your <laughs> life and, and you would really enjoy it. And I said, listen, I would love to get to it if it works, if it's organic and it feels right. And, and uh, I know you have an amazing relationship with your kids. And so when they get to see you perform, Brian, you're at Wembley or whatever it may be. I mean, did they realize up there? They're like, hey, that's dad. Like, do they oh, yeah. really, does it come, you know, are they sure. really, uh, when after you play a gig and you're with them, are they like, "Hey, Dad, that was great," or are they just sort yeah. of like, "Hey, Dad, I'm on to the next thing." I mean, how how do they feel with seeing you up there performing? Because I think they saw you at Wembley, even right? Yeah. Um, well, it's hard to explain what's in their heads. I mean, but it's it's nice for them to know what I do, and so you know, you you you, you know, if you're just hanging around at the house all day, that's what your impressions of, of of your father is. But you know, come and see me at work and get to see the other side. So you know. From everything from running around the the stage and meeting everybody and getting to know the crew and who I work with to uh you know seeing them dart around the theater when I was working on Pretty Woman the musical in new york and it, it's it's a joy to see them working and you know sorry um playing with everybody and and getting to see all the dancers and i don't know it's 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 great what are their favorite Brian Adams songs? Oh no no no! They don't. They, <laughs> they don't only like my songs if I change the words. <laughs> right. That's funny. So let's talk about Pretty Woman for a moment here. So um, I also saw you in New York when you were working on this, and tell me the story about how that came about. I know that you worked on it with your longtime partner Jim Valance, and and uh, and, and how did the whole thing come about? Because obviously, you hold know, it. Go back, Scott. Sure. Not long-term partner, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, your long-term writing partner. <laughs> Wouldn't that be correct? Yeah. Yeah. No. It, uh, <laughs> Um, Your long-term how came, writing partner. How it came about, how it came about was I um, I basically put myself forward. I heard that it was happening, and, and um, I passed the audition. So the movie, obviously someone came to you and said, hey, we have this idea. We want to turn the movie into a play. We'd like you to take the music and sort of you know, bring new life into the story. Obviously, the original Richard Gere, Julia Roberts. I mean, I know the process was something you worked on for a few years because I feel like I saw you in between that time. It was time. a couple of years in, in making it, and... It was it was really about uh, not changing the story, but just bringing the bringing the film to, to the stage. And you, know, you have to remember that the film was pretty much a film of 
close-ups. You know, it's it's all over the shoulder, and and there's not a lot of stuff in there that. So you have to <clears throat> to try and take those take those really intimate moments between two people and make it a stage play. It had, it had to have uh, a narrative, and and there's dancing, and and so you know it was two years in the making. The, the director was Jerry Mitchell, and he did a wonderful job um, directing it and directing me into what needed to be said next. And whenever it comes to working on a musical, you have to have a focus. And so I just focused on what he said the whole time. Well, you've done so much that that was something that you hadn't tackled yet, right? Because I feel like there's a lot of between touring and winning all the awards you have and all the, you know, the great career you have. I think a Broadway show was something you hadn't done yet. So this definitely was a a real big challenge for you. How do you feel? Do you feel like you're pretty relieved that it's all done and and it's uh, successful and whatnot? It's great. Congrats. Yeah, no, I'm very happy to, to see, to see, uh, it still, you know, it's it's almost a year now it's been on Broadway and it's now going to Germany and it's going to England and they've just, um, announced that it's going to go on on tour in the USA so it, it it's an interesting thing to have done. It's amazing, yeah. And 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 as a songwriter, you know, working um, on Broadway is kind of it's one of the sort of epic things to do as a songwriter. And I, I would love to do it again. It's amazing. So, is there anything left that you haven't done, Brian? Because I feel like you've done so much in your life. Is there? A, there's there's got to be other things that you want to tackle. Well, well, I haven't do. had lunch yet. <laughs> Besides lunch, there's definitely a lot I'm sure that you still haven't done. So is photography something that, like, are there more books that you want to do? I know you are involved in the magazine, obviously. So the, the magazine world, I mean, let's talk a little bit about the state of magazines and uh, and what your thoughts are. Obviously, everything's going digital. Um, everything in music, obviously, has gone digital. You know, how do you feel about sort of the magazine business fading away in a sense? I don't know. I, I, I mean, I'm so not part of the magazine business i'm just i'm just a creative i don't really know about the business and the same about the music business i don't know anything about the music business i just know about making music so i'm not in the music business i'm in the business of making music that is true it's true. the state of rock and roll now there's uh, all these new brands greta von fleet uh there's the struts are there any like rock bands now that you're really into well i like them uh you know i, I take my hat off to anybody that can get through nowadays especially with a guitar because there's so few guitar songs out there now and almost the the guitar solo is a thing of the past right when oh, you listen to music it. now you're like where's the guitar yeah. solo gone it's not even there yeah. anymore so I know, I, it's interesting because uh with the advent of instagram and how incredible that platform is which is my my favorite platform of all and, um it's interesting because you can go onto the feed and, and it'll sort of direct you to things that you've been looking at. So my feed's generally things like blues guitar and stuff. And so I, I, I end up uh, sort of forwarding these little clips that I keep seeing on the, on the feed of Stevie Ray Vaughan and Hendrix Amazing. and all these great guitar players. And, you know, they're only, you, can only, you only get a minute or something right. for a, a clip on Instagram. So... I sort of forward them to Keith, my guitar player, all the time. Like, wow, look at this, Albert King. Wow, Amazing. look at this, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Wow, you know, and we we played with Stevie Ray Vaughan a couple of times uh, uh, back back in the day. So I, it's quite extraordinary to see how that's amazing. Sort of and, history now. And, and speaking of tours, you have a new tour coming up with Billy Idol. 
So, yeah, um, well, it's actually only eight shows. Okay, I thought it was a whole tour, but it's actually a pretty almost unlikely pairing, right? I mean, I know you've done some pretty unique bills in the past. I think you played with Ozzy once, right? Or maybe <laughs> That's true. I don't know if that was a tour or just a one-off show. But um, tell me about the tour a little bit, even if it is only eight shows. Um, so the Billy Idol tour coming up. Billy and I had played uh, in some shows together in festivals uh, in Europe a couple of years ago, and I really I've always loved Billy's music and. So we hung out a bit, and Stevie and Steve Stevens as well. And when it came time to doing this summer tour, I suggested to my agent that it would be great to see if Billy would come out and do it with us as well, because be a great package, great rock and package. And they they said, yeah. So we're doing eight shows together this summer in America. Amazing. And so when you play, because I've seen you play a few times now, you play so many hits. And the process also of sort of, I know you like to change up the set and whatnot, but um, I love the fact that you play songs that I feel people want to hear. Because, you know, sometimes you go see artists and they're like, well, we're going to play all the obscure songs or we're never going to play a song that you want to hear, actually. But I, I feel like uh, you're still super inspired to play the songs that people love to hear. And how do you pick your sets every night? Like, how does that process go? Well, you play the songs people want to hear, the songs you like playing, and that's it. It's it's pretty simple. You sort of feed up with the audience, you know. Yeah, as, I, as I, see, I, do, I, do, I do a request moment, too. Oh, cool. Uh, so, that, you know, give, give me some, throw some oddballs at me and um, play a bit of those. You know, this is like after 14 albums, you, you, it's, uh, you can't remember all of them. Um, was it hard to pick for the greatest hits package? You can't do them all either. Yeah, was it hard to pick for the greatest hits package that you put out? No, it wasn't. No, no, okay. no, it's easy. That's the easy bit. It's easy to pick the big songs. It's, it's what to put in between and what keeps the show interesting. So Definitely. And yeah. another song I wanted to ask you about too, Somebody, because I want to jump to Somebody in quite a bit and just play the song. So what's the story behind that? Where were you? What was it, you know? Uh, I wrote that song in Vancouver with Jim Valance and I was thinking about uh, Nile Rogers and the guitar player from Chic and I was thinking maybe to ask Niall to produce my album at the time um, or maybe get involved in some some way. So I wanted to write a song that, that had a groovy guitar part and so that's why that guitar that has a nice guitar in that record. Um, in the end, that never that never happened. I just produced the record with Bob Clearmountain, but my inspiration was Nile. Ah, amazing, great, great. So, what's next for you next year and this year, obviously coming up? Um, well, there's there's all kinds of things happening. There's the, mostly touring and doing some photos and. What else is happening? Um, Any photography projects that you're excited about that you're working on coming up? Just a few exhibitions here and there. Other than that, I've got an exhibition in Toronto coming up. I haven't had an exhibition there for a while. And and I've got, um, you know, different different photo shoots that are sort of all sort of being penciled in in between. So, you know, if I my the way I work sometimes is if I have a show somewhere, I'll try and set up a photo session if I have a photo session, sometimes I set up a show. So it's the, right. so either depending on what's going on in my life and how far in advance I can organize things, um, all kinds of great stuff happens. Well, you shot obviously you have your book about the homeless. You've shot Kate Moss. You've shot the Queen. Is there is sort of Kate one? Kate Moss is not homeless. Not homeless. Uh, definitely not homeless. Is there one shoot that sort of stands out in, in your head and sort of like a milestone in your photography career too? Well, those certainly would be. Yeah. Um, you know, it, uh, or a favorite story, I guess, because those are always great to hear. Because you have so many stories. Stories about photography. Well, yeah. I did a book for Calvin Klein um, back in 2004 called American Women, 
and it was a book that was uh, done. <laughs> it was it was extraordinary because in cert, certain certain uh, certain sessions, um, they would book between seven and fourteen people a day to come in and and, and do pictures, and it was super crazy um, because you had to try and do something special for each person. And it wasn't like I was doing everybody in the same way. So was that, it people that, in their Calvins? Was that the concept? Everybody was wearing Calvin Klein. All the proceeds went to Sloan Kettering uh, Cancer Hospital in New York. And I think we raised a million dollars amazing from the book. Um, and it's still out there. You can still find it. Yeah, we should pick it up for sure. Well, one of my favorite stories that I want to leave and, and just uh, ask you about that I, I heard um, when I was. Uh, preparing for this interview with you was sort of, you know, you still from time to time, you're, you're in New York quite a lot. And, um, you were taking the subway to one of your gigs at Madison's Square Garden. Is that uh, sort of an accurate, uh, story? That's an accurate story. And then there was a guy on the subway. Actually, I'd love if you tell the story because it was such a great story. It's actually better coming from you than from me, but, uh, tell the story about it. Cause it struck me as it's sort well, of the realness in, about who you sure. are, you know? Well, if you've been in New York, uh, back, back then, that, that happened in the eighties. Um, they didn't have Uber or anything like that. So pre Uber, yeah, this is all, uh, you know, just you got to hail a taxi. Yeah, I was down in the village having lunch with my girlfriend at the time, uh, Vicky Russell, and we realized it was getting kind of late because we got to a late start, and then it suddenly, hang on, we we need to get out of here. So we went to the street to try and find a car. And there was no taxi. It was a typical day in New York where there's just you could not find a taxi. And so that hell was I was gonna take a train up to Penn Station. So uh got on the train. By this time it was sort of six o'clock or something and the train was full of people going to the show. <laughs> right. Like that guy <laughs> looks familiar. I'm not is that really so, him? yeah, that's what happened. There were people look looking that it's no way. So that's not him. It couldn't possibly be him. <laughs> and then finally I got up to the street and this guy had been looking at me and I couldn't figure out which way. Because, you know, if you come out of the subway, you don't know which sometimes which direction you are. Are you is it left, north, south, what? And I was trying to work out which way to go to walk to, to Madison Square Garden. And the fellow came up to me and he said, hey, man, is it really you? I said, yeah. <laughs> he goes, I said, which way is the garden? He goes, I'll take you there, man. <laughs> That's a story that guy will never forget his whole life and an amazing story. Not me. <laughs> or you, right, exactly. Well, hey, man, I really, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, it's great to catch up. When are you coming to L.A., Brian? Are you playing here soon? I hope so. I'm, I haven't seen anything for L.A. yet, but I'm, we will get there eventually. Or Vegas. Is there a Vegas show coming up? Again, I hope so. Okay, well, definitely. I'd love to check out the Billy Idol Brian Adams show coming Anytime, up. Scott, and, and, and well done. I, I, I like your interview style, man. Hey, man, thank you. I, uh, I prepared a whole lot. Um, you've been a friend for years. Congrats on all your success. Millions of records and uh, one of my favorite artists. So I appreciate it. We're going to play some of your music, and I um, hope to see you soon, my friend. Shine a light, buddy. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. See you soon. See ya. Bye, Bye. Scott. Bye. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Well, hey there. Hey, Dennis Quaid is here. That's right. And guess what? I have a podcast. It's called The Denaissance, and I think you should listen. I'm having some really cool conversations with some really interesting people like music legend Billy Ray Cyrus, housewife Beverly Hills, Garcelle Bouvet, and many, many more. 
Listen to The Denaissance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Dennis Quaid here, and I want to tell you about The Orange Tree. Now, I have recently started a podcast network called Audio Up, and much as I prepare for movie roles, I've been researching the podcast landscape and listening to hundreds of podcasts. One in particular stopped me in my tracks. The Orange Tree. It's a true crime podcast series told with such authenticity and care by Haley Butler and Tinu Thomas, two journalists who were University of Texas students when they started reporting on the story. It's about the 2005 murder of a young woman named Jennifer Cave near the University of Texas at Austin campus. What struck me most was the thorough examination of the case and the exclusive access granted to these two young reporters. What makes this true crime story so unique is their perspective. They're two young women who are the same age as Jennifer Cave and at very similar points in their lives. The Orange Tree is engaging, it's thoughtful, and really, really powerful. Take a listen to The Orange Tree on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts today. Hey, howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.